education and often ask the best questions, very basic elemental questions, uh, existential questions about our relationship with God, including the idea of dialogue and negotiation. Rabbi Green, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And we have a new guest with you, Rabbi Green, first time on the program, hopefully not the last, Kevin Rachel. Kevin is a Christian author. He began his career, he's also, I shouldn't say not anymore, he's an attorney, kind of came into theology through his, in the context of tonight's program, through his legal work. He's been involved in the education ministries of local congregations. He resides in Nashville, Tennessee, but he's lived and worked in the D.C. area for over 30 years, where he's worked as a labor attorney, heavily involved in matters such as labor management collective bargaining negotiations. And it was this decades-long experience working on bargaining and management labor context and legal context that brought him to looking at the question of negotiation in a theological context. It spurred Mr. Rachel to write a book about negotiations in this, in the context of talking or dialoguing with the Almighty, with Hashem, with the Lord, however you, you, your, your terminology works. He authored this book called Negotiation with God, How We and God Relate to One Another. It was published in 2011. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Rabbi Green, let's kick us off. Because let's start with what Kevin would call the Old Testament. We would call Torah, Chumash, with the examples. These, this has been going on not only, you know, obviously, it's a universal human tendency to bargain with God, but it's also some of the prime, primordial lessons of uh, Abrahamic faith. You know, we have, you know, even from... Uh, the story of Adam and, Adam and Eve, which Kevin, you address in the in the first chapter of your book. But I think in uh, Jewish thought, probably Rabbi Green, that first great example uh, is Abraham negotiating with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. What is what is going on there? What's that about, and how can that instruct our conversation? I think uh, that this is a very Jewish idea, to tell you the truth. This concept of of a human being having a relationship with God and almost being on, dare we say, equal footing <laughs> with with God. Uh, this is, uh, if I remember correctly, Thomas Cale wrote a book called The Gifts of the Jews, and uh, this is what he said, The Gifts of the Jews is exactly, that's what they brought to the world, the concept of that the human being is empowered, empowered to have a voice, empowered to do things and to ask for things. Uh, and not just say that everything is left up to the gods or God. Uh, so this concept we see right from the beginning, this concept of Abraham uh, negotiating, negotiating numbers with numbers of how many righteous people are in Sodom and therefore if they should be saved or not, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's one of, according to the sages, it's one of the criticisms of Noah that, uh, and, and showing the difference between Abraham and Noah, that Noah did not negotiate with God. He just kind of like accepted upon himself that this is what God's will is and just built that ark. And one of the criticisms. Yeah, can you imagine, Rabbi Green, like it, this idea, right, of, of, of God kind of telling someone the world is basically coming to an end. There's going to be this great flood. 
kind of pack your bags, so to speak, get everyone you can on your arc, but Noah doesn't even seem to say, please, don't do it. My, I like my neighbor. He's going to die. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it somewhat lightheartedly, but you, it's this massive blind spot, right? And it's, um, whereas Abraham, even when it's, you're talking about what, 50 or 40 people is using these concrete numbers that could be righteous, that could be, you know, killed in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he's, ad, the advocacy is so strong and passionate on a relatively small number, whereas Noah sees around him the possibility of, of humanity being wiped out and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't stop to, to negotiate. And it, so it, in a sense, this tells me from the get-go that we're supposed to negotiate with God, that we're, spo- we're not supposed to take everything and not kind of turn it over and, and, and debate it and look at the ethics of it. Is that, is that a is that a uh, a reasonable extrapolation, Rabbi? If you think about it, the t- it comes down to the question of why did God create a world in the first place? What was He lacking, so to speak? What was He missing? And there's one thing that God didn't have when He's by Himself, and that is what we call a relationship or the ability to have a relationship. And the ability to have any kind of relationship, a true relationship, is when you have two beings that have free choice and have equal voice in the matter and discuss and figure out things together. When you don't have that, when you, get, when you have, God forbid, somebody coercing the other, either in a good way or a bad way, that's not considered a relationship. That's considered something else. So God was lacking a relationship and he created the world. And that's what he wants is the purpose of the world. The purpose of the world is what I call empowerment. The purpose of the world is to have a relationship with a being that can speak up and say, I don't accept this. This is not okay. Mm. At the end of the day, okay. God is going to do what he wants to do. Right. Kevin, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in this very uneducated, stylized way of looking at it. I didn't grow up, obviously, with a Christian background or education. But it, it seems to me, looking, you know, reading your book or having a sense of your way of, of seeing the world around this question, that submission, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I hear Rabbi Green saying, you know, it's not just about submission, it's about a, a relationship, you know, pun intended, of, of somewhat equal footing. But it seems in, in, in Christian thought, it is, there is a, an enormous um, emphasis on submission. And if you're totally submitted to God's will, do you really have a place to stand up and advocate or negotiate in, you know, in your own spirit and, you know, with your own, in your own heart and soul with the Almighty? That's a good question. And I remember when I first came out with the book, some of my uh, uh, fellow Christian colleagues kind of winced a little bit that, well, we don't really, you know, negotiate with God. We, we submit, we plead with, and and that sort of thing. But I think uh, uh, really, uh, really we do. And I go and go back to this, the story of Abraham. The question I always pose when I'm talking about that story is, who started this conversation? And the answer is, God started the conversation. And then you ask, well, why did God start this conversation? Why did He tolerate? if you will, Abraham's conversation, all this, all this negotiating with, with numbers. And, and I think it says something about the character of God. And, and as, as, as 
as Robert Greene spoke of, the idea of a relationship with God. God calls us to the negotiations table, if you will. He seeks the kind of relationship where we can share our our hearts and what's really on our mind, and we can go through that, and God promises to be receptive to that kind of conversation. But, but Kevin, doesn't, doesn't God also start that conversation with Noah? I mean, in a certain, both are approached in a certain sense, right? And, and Abraham chooses to respond and say, wait, if you're going to destroy this city, you're going to destroy um, people, righteous people, whereas Noah kind of says, okay, you know, let me go off and do your bidding. Well, I, I am reluctant to be too critical of Noah here. Uh, he, he stands as a, uh, a, a great uh, a character of faith over hundreds of years building an ark, and I presume maybe trying to persuade some people to, uh, you know, come over, come over to God's uh, uh, side there. So uh, even Abraham ultimately had to submit to God's answers. And, you know, and even though my, my book for, you know, has 11 chapters about negotiating with God, I did feel compelled for the final chapter, uh, it was about submission. And that at the end yeah, of the day, book of Job, in the end of the day, we do that. But that doesn't mean that God isn't looking for us to, to interact and communi- communicate and share and discuss. Um, you know, the, the, the great example, I, I, I think, are the psalmists. How many of the psalms say, how long, O oh Lord, do I have to wait for you to reward the, the faithful and, and denounce the wicked? And we're going to need to take our first type of break, gentlemen. We're going to continue to talk about this uh, this idea of bargaining, and also in the, after the break, get into that difference between when we're bargaining with God on behalf of someone else's welfare versus our own, and whether that's how important that difference is. I know you both have some strong opinions on that. Joined here by Rabbi Shmuel Green and Kevin Rachel, who's a, a Christian theologian, talking about the bargaining that we do with the Lord around sometimes what are very banal needs or what we perceive to be needs in our lives up to the most profound where we're bargaining, in a sense, for the welfare and survival of others. Participate in this conversation. You can do so live by calling in to 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. We are doing this show out of studio tonight. We are live, as always. So please have patience if you dial in. Just let it ring until Dimitri picks you up. You can also text a question or comment into a different number. Don't call this number, please. Just for text or WhatsApp questions or comments to our guests, Kevin Rachel and Rabbi Shmuel Green. That number is 917-428. 4062. You can do so by WhatsApp or SMS again, 917-428-4062 for questions or comments on this show that we've somewhat lightheartedly entitled in our social media blast, God, I'll make you a deal. We'll be right back. Oh. 
On equal footing, we try to address the kind of topics that you you know you need to get into in your spiritual life, your practical day-to-day, but you don't often know how to approach, be confusing, sometimes disheartening. Um, but those are not areas to shy away from in our lives or areas that we should kind of lean into to grow and get through. What's the tie-in here? Why am I saying this? We have a sponsor that's been very loyal, great sponsor over time, and they do exactly that. They address something that a lot of people have difficulty talking about but is important to the physical and emotional well-being of couples, and that's erectile dysfunction. Yes, you heard me, erectile dysfunction. It is nothing to be ashamed about. It affects nearly two-thirds of men at some point in their lives, and there are options that are enduring, that don't have side effects, and that don't require dependence on pills. Those expensive blue pills are also, uh, also have side effects for a number of individuals or comorbidities that prevent people from using them. Well, Manhattan Medical, our sponsor, has a effective, enduring therapy. It's called Gaines Wave. It helps most patients uh, uh, achieve long-term excellent results. Gaines Wave has been around in Europe and Canada for many years, recently introduced to the United States. It's non-invasive, surgery-free, painless. Call Manhattan Medical and get a free consultation. If you say you heard it on equal footing, that's a $250 value. You do not have to be in Manhattan or the New York area. Anywhere in the United States, you can get a consult on Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. What's the number? Write it down. 888-ED-QR9. That's 888-ED-QR9. In numbers, 888-332-8739. Again, for Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction, call for a free consultation if you mention you heard about it on equal footing. That's 888-332-8739. You're back on Equal Footing. We're here with Kevin Rachel, who's a Christian scholar and also a lawyer. Here with Rabbi Shmuel Green. We're having an interfaith dialogue on the concept of bargaining with God. And before the break, we're talking about the, that famous negotiation between Abraham and God around the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We also touched on Noah. Rabbi Green, I have a, a question I'm a little bit embarrassed to ask, but um, I'm sure I'm not the only person thinking this one. When, when uh, Abraham is negotiating with God around the destruction of, uh, of Sodom, uh, he talks about, well, what if, God, what if there are 50 righteous people there? What if there are 40? But then he stops at 10. If, if we believe in Judaism that every life is a universe, why is a world unto itself? Why does Abraham stop at 10 and not stop at one righteous life? That, that's a great segue to what I wanted to note about being critical of Noah, which uh, Kevin uh, said maybe we have to be careful about this. I'm going to be critical of, of Abraham 
I'm going to go all for it. Abraham is our forefather. Noah is not. But on the other hand, he's not our, what we call Rabbeinu, our teacher. Moshe, Moses is. Because Moses goes one step further. Moses doesn't start negotiating about numbers. When he is presented the issue of destruction of the, the destruction of the Jewish people, he says straightforward, if you're going to do this, just take me out of the book. And he doesn't start going 50, 40, 30, 10. So there is a question, why did Abraham stop at 10? What was this idea? And there is just a little bit of a criticism amongst the sages that that's not okay. You're right. Every life is important. And we need to, we need to, we need to put ourselves on the line, you know, at the negotiating table, even if it means an account, an expense of our own well-being, such as Moses, and do what needs to be done in order to protect everybody and not start negotiating, seeing what's big and what's small. Now, there's, I just want to say also, uh, to touch upon, uh, you mentioned before, banal ideas or small needs versus big needs. We have to remember that God created this world. And when God creates the world, he created the system through which we work in. Now, for God, this whole thing, in a certain sense, is small or petty. Really, to tell you the truth, there is no such thing as small or big with God. Because we're talking about, um, we're talking about uh, 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 infinity. And when we're talking about infinity, there is no such thing as small or big. So what I might think is important for God is just as less important, just as not as important as anything else. Therefore, it's just as important as everything else. So my stomach ache is just as important as somebody else's life. And I need God mm. to contribute. I need him to help because he's infinite. It doesn't make a difference for him. There is no big or small. So you're absolutely correct. There is a criticism of Abraham that he negotiated with the numbers. And the person who, the next leader who we look at of type of negotiating with God or putting him on the spot is Moses, and Moses is called Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher. Abraham, Abraham, Before, one of our forefathers. Rabbi, sorry, I just want to I want to I want to ask Kevin a question on this on this kind before we move to Moshe Rabbeinu because it's a, a like you allude to a different level. I think it's fascinating. We talked a little bit about this uh, prior to the show together privately about how, uh, in a sense, uh, Jewish wisdom would dictate that there's this that nothing is more important than the other that it's all. It's all part of a, a, a universal. Who are we, I guess, to say what you know? What's what's more important when we when we plead or negotiate with God? And yet, um, Kevin, in doing some of the research, and again, oh, oh, please forgive my naivete. It seemed that in some of the, the the Christian writing on this topic, there was, if not a consensus, there was this, there's a there's significant literature on the idea that bargaining with God diminishes. God's greatness. It's like, who are we to say what we should ask for? And one way to put it is like, you know, what mo- what mother hasn't prayed for a, a healthy newborn? That the certain sense it feels like, you know, that o- feels okay at a certain level, in, you know, instinctively. But what about when you ask God to help you find your lost keys? You know, I mean, doesn't that mm-hmm. even though all things are equal in a certain sense, as as Rabbi Green said. Um, is, doesn't it also kind of diminish God's greatness and connection to our lives when we when we seem to negotiate over over I guess quote unquote small things? 
I, I think there very much is that kind of what I'll call a visceral reaction, you know, that, that God is in charge, uh, we depend on God, we rely on God, we, we don't need to bother the almighty God of heaven and creator of all the earth with, with trivial things. Um, but I think things in, in a lot of ways are, are, are measured by what's, what's important even to us. And that in a sense that what is really important to us is important to God. And in, in, in that sense, I, I, while I think in a way it can be disrespectful if, if you approach it with that kind of an attitude, but if you're really sharing what's important to your heart, then, um, then nothing really does fall into the category of being uh, over, overly trivial. Let me challenge that and for I a second to both of you. Because there is this, I think we, if we're all honest with ourselves here on the, on the, as, on the show and listeners, I would ask you to do the same thing. We have, I have at least a conditional, um, type of dialogue often with God. God, if, if, if you it, help me with this. And when I say you on this, I think people have listened to the program long enough know that I don't necessarily mean that I'm kind of, you know, have an anthropomorphic view of God, but however we interact with the Almighty in our own internal dialogue with our inner self or what have you, whatever works for you listening, I think we can all, we can admit that a lot of the time it's conditional. If God, if, if, if you do this, I will be I will be uh, Shomer Kashrut, I will be Shomer Shabbos, or I will do, I will tithe, I will do good things. And, um, and who, in a sense, doesn't that, doesn't that belittle God because it's like assuming that we know the plan? Um, and, and so, yeah, so let me, let me serialize the question. First of all, is it okay, uh, Rabbi Green, maybe start with you, to have a conditional pledge? I mean, even Jacob, Right in 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 Genesis twenty eight has this right he's walked whatever waking from his dream of an angelic ladder and bargains with God if God protects my journey I'll tithe all I have for you I mean it seems like there's an there's an allowance for conditional pledges but then it feels very weird and belittling in a certain sense like you're dealing with someone across a across a, a business negotiating table this whole existence is belittling for God <laughs> the whole thing is belittling for God. So when we make conditions, it's under his, under his rules and laws of what can be made, uh, what kind of conditions can be made. When he says, for instance, bring me these and these type of sacrifices, so I'll have a pleasant aroma and then I'll be happier, so to speak, it's because God dictated that's what he wants to have happen and that's, what, that's how it's going to work. But we don't make up, we don't make up the conditions. At the same time, we are able to say, and it depends what kind of, what kind, what, what kind of attitude you're coming from. If we say, for instance, let's say you're sitting on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, the highest, holiest day of the year, you know, again, talking about high, holy, more important, all of a sudden, you know, and we're talking here, and then all of a sudden we talk about our parnasa, our, our, our well-being, our health. Are, are, you know, how much money am I going to make? Am I going to be able to pay the bill? That is a little bit like inconsistent. Here you're talking about God, how great he is, and you're talking about then, you know, making a living. But no, when you come and say, listen, God, I want to serve you. That's the most important thing. I want to bring and do good in the world because that's what you want me to do. But I can't 
do it if I'm worried about my bills. I just can't. Help me. So let me understand. Let me understand, Rabbi Green, real quick. Real quick. So that that conditional prayer, so to speak, or dialogue with God is is okay. Is is that what I'm hearing? It's That's okay, okay to say. That's what God help. dictates. Yes, God dictates for us to ask for those things. Right. If my own child comes to me says I want a scooter, okay, you know, what is you know, or I want a BMW, whatever. But if he comes to me and says, Dad, you know, Abba. If I had a BMW, I could do our work even a better way. It's a whole different type of attitude. Me as a father, completely more, yes, because you're on the same page. Mm. We're in this covenant together. We're in this partnership, and I'm empowering you. And now I understand you can't do your job that I want you to do. You, if you, you leave the service if open, you don't have these if you leave the service open-ended, kind of I want to do your will in a certain way, but, it, you know, Kevin, uh, there was a, a Christian writer on this topic that we were looking at in our in, in our pregame work. They used the example of the soldier who's in a foxhole and says, you know, if, if, if I'm saved in this battle, God, I'll become a priest. And this writer's point was that's not a good that's not a good dialogue with God because how do you know that God wants you to become a priest? <laughs> the the idea, maybe he doesn't want you to become a priest. Maybe he wants to become a great general. And so his position, it kind of goes to what I think Rabbi Green is getting at. And I, I apologize, Rabbi Green, if I'm extrapolating too much. But it's like maybe the prayer should have been, you know, God, if you'll save me in this battle, I'll do it. I'll do whatever is your will. I'll I'll, I'll be keenly attuned to to serving you the best way in my life. Or something. Is that is that a distinction that matters, or is it is the prayer where where the the soldier says I'll become a priest just as good? Uh, I I think it does matter um, that the the more conditional I'll call it selfish prayer or or one that seeks to control the situation is, I would say, less noble than the one that seeks to uh, ask for something for a purpose that is to uh, serve God, that is to ask for something that helps somebody else. That being said, that doesn't mean, in my mind, that you never uh, approach God in the other way. If that's the way you're feeling, if that's something you need to discuss with God, hopefully that discussion leads to a more noble attitude. The problem in that situation may be your selfish attitude and not the fact that you're bringing that to God's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not the bringing that yeah. before God. We're going to get into that in the next break, uh, the difference between asking for ourselves and others. I promise to do that before the last break. And I'm going to follow the, the request of one of our listeners who's asked me to get less religious. And I think that's a good point because I want to also allow, I'm saying that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, it's obviously a, uh, a faith-based program here, but get it down to a little bit into the more nitty-gritty. Does, does this type of dialogue with whatever we consider God um, does it help us? Does it bring us greater strength? Does it foster hope? Um, we'll even talk about that, follow through on our promise to bring it into psychoanalytics as well. Let me get out the number one more time. Gotten some great text questions and comments. You can send that by SMS or 
by WhatsApp to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And on, if you want to call in on the bridge telephonically uh, to participate live, that's 718-303-9090, 718-303-9090. We'll be right back on this program. God, I'll make you a deal. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. All right, you're back on Equal Footing here, joined by Rabbi Shmuel Green and Christian academic and scholar Kevin Rachel. We're talking about the bargains we make with God. Uh, gentlemen, we have some, I want to get into listener questions and comments. And before doing that, just want to tell a joke. And the, the joke is, is in part inspired by comments we've gotten around the, uh, tendency to uh, bargain with God about the irrelevant things in our life and then not give credit where credit is due. Uh, and so imagine the, uh, the person who's late for a meeting. He's uh, desperately looking for a parking spot and says, Hashem, God, if you please find me a parking spot so I can uh, make my, you know, make this meeting, this meeting is so important. Please, I need a parking spot in the next five minutes. A minute later, a spot opens up. He says, Hashem, never mind. I I found one. And I think the point is that we, we, it, it, in a certain sense, I think in, in my life at least, when we, when we ask for things, it's in a certain sense, not only does it give up our own agency, but it make, it kind of cheapens, I think, the, the relationship that we have in our, it cheapens our spiritual journey. I know you're speaking, you're kind of speaking from the mountaintop, both of you giving really good advice and you know, making biblical references. But do you ever fall into this trap yourselves? I mean, Kevin, do you ever find yourself saying, God, I, 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 gosh, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be bringing this dialogue down to this, this level. Uh, do you, do you feel like there, yeah. there are times you can say, I, should, I shouldn't actually be kind of negotiating or assuming I'm on equal footing um, in that sense? Yes. Um, you know, just, just like in a, in a job, maybe you feel like you, you need to handle this. 
you don't need to take this to your, your boss. You need to take care of this yourself. And, and sometimes I feel the same way about that with, with God. God, you're busy. You got things to do. You got people to oversee. You got a, you got a, a universe to run. Um, I can find my own parking space. But, uh, I, I think the caution on the other side would be it is a matter of faith and and it is a matter of belief in the existence of God who can help you, who can uh, get you through things, and who um, you look to as someone you're dependent uh, upon. So while I think that asking for trivial or small things may reflect some lack of understanding of just uh, sort of who you're dealing with. Um, it, it also, uh, just like uh, a son to a father, which is, you know, so often the metaphor used uh, in, in Scripture, um, there is the, the sense of which we should feel that God is approachable, and um, I think it's the uh, in, in the book of Ephesians, it, it, it talks about approaching God with confidence and with freedom. So there is a, a real emphasis on, on, the, on approaching God and communicating rather than carving out things not to talk about. Rabbi Green, we've alluded to a couple times in the show about the, the, the real ethical difference in asking for things for ourselves versus for others. So a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but is there a difference if we're pleading with God for to find uh, yourself a parking spot versus pleading with God to find someone else that you care about a parking spot so they can make that important meeting? First, I want to address what, what was said before because this may just be the crux of the, the, the fundamental difference between Christianity and Judaism. But first of all, um, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. And over this past season, boy, did I ask God for a lot. <laughs> and it's not trivial. <laughs> Every game the Vikings went through, we had to ask. It was a nail break, you know. So definitely I've asked God for parking place for myself, for the Vikings to win for my sake, for my son's sake, because he's also a fan, etc. But here's the thing. God ain't busy. God is infinite. And this is probably the crux, the, the fundamental difference, like I said, between Christianity and Judaism, is that Christianity said God doesn't get into the nitty-gritty details. They're too small for him. He doesn't care what's happening in your kitchen. They called Judaism a pots and pans religion. But that's, and it's more the bigger, quote-unquote, things, your heart, your intention, etc. And that was the big revolution that Jesus brought to the world. But Judaism sticks to the sticks to his guns and says, no, God is so infinite that he cares. He cares about the smallest little things. So absolutely, yes, I ask and bring God into my life about everything, everything that I can, because I just need him, and I need him. Now, with regards to talking about to asking for myself or for somebody else, there definitely is this concept of, being answered yourself when you're praying, when you first pray for someone else. It's going back to Abraham. Now we're going to his wife. The Talmudic sages say that Sarah was answered with a son 
and she gave birth to Isaac because she first prayed for her adversary, the person who kidnapped and took her hostage, which was the king Abimelech. So she prayed for him to heal, and that's why right after that it says that she was given a son because she prayed for somebody else. So there definitely is this concept of, and going back to Moses again, going back to Moses and going, now I want to say you said before the break that we're going to go into, that, so one of your, your listeners asked for us to get a little bit less religious and more practical. Well, I deal a lot, especially with teenagers and young people, I deal a lot with people who have issues with addiction. And there is no doubt about it that at least in the 12-step program, for instance, there's no, for a person who is as desperate as a person who is going to die if they don't take care of themselves, they're going to drink too much, they're going to drug too much, whatever it is, they have to bring God into every little part in their life. God has to become yeah. real. But at the same time, they have right. to do, and I just, reading from, just one of their slogans is, without God, I can't. Without me, God won't. And that's perfect. Right. And, so, and Rabbi, I think I think this kind of yeah. ties into that last uh, the listener's comment that I referred to at the outset of this segment, kind of making it, or and the last one about kind of making this less religious, and in that that dialogue itself with the universe, with God, with your inner self, or whatever, the dialogue itself can be necessary to just keep us. Um, out of out of bad places, out of depression, out of addiction, out of grief, etc. Uh, no matter what the outcome, so to speak, of the negotiation is. And I wanted to read before our, our next break a, a listener's comment along these lines that really that really touched me. This listener writes, "I, I don't believe in God like your other listeners do. Uh, who knows about that? But sounds sounds right. But I think the only time I feel connected to the universe." is when I am praying for someone else's well-being. It is my only practice that you might call religious. And I think that we all know that difference between something that may be written as a religious practice or a, a mitzvah or something we're supposed to do versus something that just, you know, kind of feels right. And I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this program because I often feel I agree with this listener, and I consider myself I don't know, moderately observant. I consider myself definitely on the spiritual journey, and I agree that the, the time when I feel most connected to the my better angels or my inner self or God Hashem is when I'm praying for something good to happen to someone I love, or or even you know some village in Ukraine I've read about in the news. It's when I feel like my best version of myself. Does that, do you guys feel the same? I mean, is that, is that, does that, does that resonate? Yes, it does resonate. I think, um, it, but it, I, there's a, a kind of a broader story. It's, it's, it's not just about when you're praying for somebody on somebody else. It's, it's not just about when you're wishing them well that you feel better and connected to the universe or, or, or to God. It's also when you're doing things for other people, when you're engaged in acts of service, is when you have that heart and action and, and, and attitude to help others, then your prayer life is part of that. 
Um, and, 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 you know, we talk about, um, you know, what it means to be a humanitarian. And it's not about um, um, what you look like or how much money you make. It's about how kind and compassionate you are. That's what it means to be the ideal of sort of being human. We're going to take our last break and come back with Rabbi Shmuel Green and Kevin Rachel, the Christian theologian, talking about the bargaining that we do with God. I want to get into, after the break, another, we have a listener who's been patiently waiting uh, to get on the air and also to touch on how we almost universally tend to negotiate in the, ton- in the context of grief and loss. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Equal Footing is brought to you in part over a long time now by DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. Download this easy-to-use app on your iPhone or Android device. DocuVax allows you to track your medical records very easily. Just download the app, or you can also go to the site, DocuVax.com, and just drop in all your medical records and whatever. Take a picture, have a PDF or what have you, and then you get doctors and nurses on call for you 365 days a year, 24 hours a day to validate a medical record, uh, give a reference so you don't have to uh, go to see a GP to get a specialist reference or simply keep you up to date on when you need to get a vaccine or a preventative screening like a colorectal exam or breast cancer screening, you know, we owe it to ourselves to have our medical records organized and to have control of our medical file. DocuVax is not expensive. It's under $7 a month, and you could save a year's worth of of, uh, subscriptions of DocuVax just getting a free reference to a specialist. So sign up at DocuVax.com or download the DocuVax app. When you do so, your medical data is never accessible to anybody but you unless you want to share it privately with a doctor or insurance provider using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your medical data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying. If you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or an important preventative screening, take control of your medical file and sign up at DocuVax.com. And if you're interested in group discounts, you want to sponsor it for a small business, like a health benefit, you can do so by mentioning you heard about it on equal footing and calling 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. I've been calling. You're back on Equal Footing. We're talking about bargaining uh, with God. We've had a listener that's been patiently waiting on the line. See if we can put him or her through. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. Good evening. Welcome. Give it. Good evening. Give us your. Uh, give us your best shot. It's Stan, by the way. How are you? I thought it was you. You thought you, Stan. 
You know, I've been a long-time listener of this program. You know that. Uh-oh. But, I, but, yeah, but I think tonight's the end of it for me. I really do. Why? Because of, you know, the absurdity of this topic. The absolute ridiculousness of this topic is, is you know, I'm laughing. It's unbelievable. Uh, we're going to negotiate. We're going to, you know, the labor lawyer who you have there is probably the most realistic person you have. Because when you negotiate, you sit at a table, and there's somebody on the other side who knows exactly what they want to do. And you're on the other side, and you know exactly. And then you negotiate, and you do hard bargaining. With a divine being, there is no bargaining. There is no contact. There is no communication. Six million went to the gas chambers. Did anybody sit at the table to negotiate anything with anybody to get these people to not to go? Did anybody talk to God or a being, I don't believe in it anymore, and say, please, you know, I'm asking, can, can you stop this? We heard nothing. So what are we, who are we talk, what are we negotiating? You know, the show, like you said, let's make a deal. That had more reality than this topic because you knew you were getting door number one, two, or three, and when you won something, you got the TV, you got the car. When you negotiate with something you don't know and exists and you don't really don't get it, what is it for? What are you negotiating? What does it mean? That's why the topic is absurd, Duff. Totally. Stan, I actually agree. You don't believe it or not, I agree with you. Really? (laughs) Well, I'll see you next week. No, no, I, I find I it. I who are you, what do you? What do you? The, the labor lawyer is the smartest one because he sits opposite. Let me ask somebody. you a question. Sure. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors in blessed memory. I know you're a Vietnam vet. We've talked about this this greatest existential question of God exists. Why did the Holocaust happen? So I, I'm on the same page with you. The, the question. I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I think you're, you're, got, you're doing it for your time. But go ahead. Give me, give me another give me another sure, of, course, of course of course of course the 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 reason I want to do the program is and, and you help you're helping here and actually coalescing the point is even if there's no outcome even if we're we're talking into the abyss the lives are not saved the loved ones you know we lose that loved one that we're praying for does is the dialogue itself healthy no, is the, is, no. Why would it be healthy if there's no response? Health has to, when you talk to a doctor, he says, you know, I'm going to give you a shot for the flu. There's a response. There's some health. Hmm. There is no response with a divine that does not respond and answer. I'm sorry. That's it. We've had it in our history. What does it take to, for people like these two gentlemen, who I have nothing personally against, to think, think this out? You know, negotiate Rabbi, and what hope you, for what? Stand, stand, the, stand the line. Stand the line. Okay, Rabbi, okay, say sure, this, sure. What do you say to this this beautiful, doubting, <laughs> intensely engaged? You? What, do you, what do you, Stan, I hope I didn't give anything away. We, you're, we, <laughs> you're Jewish. Rabbi, what do, you, what do you say to Stan? I say that uh, the fact that you're angry, Stan, proves that you think that there's something out there. If you weren't angry and you weren't upset about the topic and about the fact that he doesn't answer shows that you expect a certain type of answer. If there was nothing out there, it wouldn't bother you. If there was nothing out there, the expectation would be this is just ridiculous. It just, it, there wouldn't be any emotion involved. 
You wouldn't have any expectation that the, that, that the strong don't win. Nazis should be able to kill Jews because there's nothing out there. It bothers you because you do think that there's something, there's a justice in the world, there's a good, there's a bad, there's a right. And I don't wrong. know, but Rabbi, I don't, I don't know if we still have Stan. Stan, are you still, we may have lost him. Stan, do you, do you still have you on the line? I'm here. Okay. But do, do you, we've had something like this dialogue before, maybe a year or two ago, and I'm really, I really I tell you, I resonate deeply with what you're saying. Do, do, you, do you accept what the rabbi is saying? I mean, no, he, say, he, he puts it in my mind that I, because I'm mad, I believe. I once believed, I stopped believing. I gave it up. It's gone forever. But for you to say, because I'm, I'm arguing because of people like you, the, the labor lawyer has more reality in him than you do. So that's the, okay. at least he's let's dealing hear, with something on hear, the other side. Let's hear from the, let's hear from the labor lawyer. <laughs> okay. Theologian who wrote a, wrote a book on bargaining with God. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin Rachel, what, what you've, you've been very patient with me. What, what do you say to Stan in, in his, in his ardent and I think, uh, well-articulated stance of disbelief? I, I, a couple of, a couple of points I'd like to, have Stan consider. Um, as to the absurdity, the idea of absurdity of negotiating with, with an almighty God. Well, I mean, if you don't believe in God, you don't believe there's a God there, um, that's one thing because you might see some, you know, you might argue some therapeutic value to going through, through a process or you might, or right. you might not. I, I, I don't know. But if you believe that there's a God there, uh, and, and this God has invited you to participate in this kind of discussion and that uh, it may change things. It may not. It may uh, then there is that kind of, I would say, value and benefit because you are responding to, I would say, a God who is there and that um, you want to establish a relationship with, a discussion with, uh, a submission to, as well as a dialogue that uh, we might characterize and, and maybe we, sh- we often generally shouldn't characterize maybe as negotiating. But I do think it comes down to, you know, how do you feel about uh, whether or not there's a, a God is there and, and whether he's interested in you personally or not? Well, I'm going to actually, I'm going to continue to advocate for Stan's position uh, with a little bit of a perhaps believing tinge to it. But you finish your book talking, if I recall correctly, Kevin, on the book of Job, which I think, um, Stan, I would say, I don't think you necessarily need to be a, uh, a believer to, to, to get something out of the book of Job. Because as, as you discuss, Kevin, this is a totally decimated life. And in the end of that, there is, there is a submission um, to pain and to suffering that any of us who have gone through significant pain and suffering know is releasing. You talked about the therapeutics. We've been kind of alluding to this the whole show. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's idea, the great psychoanalyst's idea of the five stages of grief. And whether you're believing or not, that negotiating stage is, can be empowering, and so can submission. So I would say, it, it, in a sense, Kevin, if I'm sitting where Stan is, who cares whether I believe? 
in God. There's the, just the acknowledgement of the depth of the pain of the Holocaust, the acknowledgement of the existential cry for under for for, mm-hmm. for um, that just that existential that existential crisis of of being confronted with an un, confronted with an unjust unjust world. It, it would seem that just the, the submission itself has got to be healing, and you end your book that way. It, so, do, do you even have to be? Do you have to be a believer? Can can you be in an atheist stance, as I think Stan is, and still get something out of whether maybe it's not a dialogue, maybe it's not a negotiation, maybe it's shouting, maybe it's anger with God. Well, if you're going to reach some level of acceptance with where you are, you probably have to go through a a deep and thoughtful self-questioning. And whether that self-questioning is kind of like the same thing as negotiating with whatever you think might be out there or whether it's just uh, self-questioning within within yourself. Um, So I think there is something that, uh, you know, anyone can get out of that kind of process. Now, you mentioned Job, and, and, and just the, I don't want to say the marvelous thing about Job, but the, almost a surprising thing about Job is that when God finally comes to him, God does not explain everything to him. He does not, right. tell, he does not tell him about how his suffering was for the greater good. He, he tells him that I'm God and you're not, and, 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 and forced Job to submit to that. And that is the point at which uh, Job's life turned around. Right. I wish we had another hour. (laughs) Rabbi Green, thank you for joining us. Rabbi Shmuel Green, Kevin Rachel, thanks for being on the program for the first time. Stan, thank you. I think, I hope you will keep listening. Uh, And stay angry, Stan. Stay angry. (laughs) Stay angry. We'll catch you next week. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, address some of these issues in our, in our journey over time. Thank you. Good night.